I mean, just like, boom. Okay, here's the story. We have a dog. Good dog. Not a bad dog. Ben has a dog. An okay dog. <laughs> well, he volunteered. Well, he, he's back home again. Well, he will be Monday. And he brought Zeke home. He brought his dog home. But he also volunteered to watch somebody else's dog. So now there in my house three dogs. And these are not little dogs. These are big dogs. Our house is like in complete upheaval. I mean you're sitting on the you're sitting on the chair watching television. <coughs> and we don't allow dogs on furniture. Never never have. The dog the third dog just comes along and just like, gets up on the couch and just like plays there. And it's like unbelievable. And the backyard is completely and totally destroyed. I mean, there are holes. I mean, there are holes. They've dug up stuff. And now, since it's dry out, all the stuff that they dug up is now dry. And it stays on their fur. And it comes into the house. And, like, it's a mess. Life is completely disrupted. You know what, though? That's what happens when people encounter Jesus. Their life gets completely and totally disrupted. And it's a good thing. Last week, Kristen began, began the series on encounters with Jesus. She told the story about blind Bartimaeus and how his life was completely changed when he didn't give up shouting for Jesus when people were trying to keep him quiet. The thing that always impressed me about that story is that um, when Jesus called them over, it specifically says, throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. Back then, your cloak was like gold. I mean, you wore it during the day, but that was your blanket at night, too. I mean, that was like a big deal, your cloak, especially for somebody that maybe only had one like him. I mean, it even says, it says the Mosaic law forbid the Israelites from keeping a cloak taken to secure a debt beyond sunset to make sure that the person had covered to sleep under. So, you know, when he threw that aside, that was such a huge act of faith. I mean, the last verse of that story says, and Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately, he regained his sight and began following, on the, uh, following him on the road. I think Jesus recognized that Bartimaeus was ready to give up his old life. And Jesus gave him new value and a new identity. And when it says he began following him on the road, I personally like to believe that he followed him all the way to the cross. And he saw Jesus get crucified. Now, that's my own personal thing. Then Kristen talked about the woman who anointed Jesus' feet with perfume at the Pharisee's house. Uh, man, the Pharisees criticized the woman for wasting the expensive perfume, criticized Jesus for letting her do it. But Jesus quickly put them in their place. There's nothing better in all of creation than to have Jesus stand up and publicly justify you. That is so cool. That's happened to me maybe once or twice in my life. Uh, and it's the most humbling thing, but it is so cool. I mean, I learned sometimes it's better to just step back and allow God to work on your behalf instead of trying to do things yourself. Because uh, 
you know, we always get things wrong anyway. Um, the last thing Jesus says to her is, your sins are forgiven. The weight that was lifted off her shoulders that night, I mean, I could only imagine how she felt. I mean, she got up feeling justified. And that's, I mean, wow. When people encounter Jesus, things change. Always, always. As a matter of fact, even today, there's, eventually there's only going to be one of two reactions when you encounter Jesus. It's either going to be acceptance or rejection. You're either going to accept Jesus for who he is and who he says he is and what he's done. It's not on. I keep hitting it. I'm sorry. Oh, now it's on. Or you're going to reject him. Um, now, it may take some time. The reaction's not always immediate. I mean, it may take years for somebody to finally accept Jesus. But it's going to happen. Acceptance or rejection. There's no middle ground. And with acceptance on our part of who Jesus is and what he's done for us comes the greatest gift of all. The same gift he gave to that woman who anointed his feet. Forgiveness. Turn with me to Luke chapter 19. We're going to read verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region. And he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore fig tree beside the road, beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. See, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He had gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I've cheated anyone on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Uh, last month, when I spoke about the church being for evangelism, I used Zacchaeus as an example of Jesus' style of evangelism. He did the unexpected. He said things that would basically drive the religious leaders of the day crazy. It still does today. Uh, like I said earlier, there's only one or two responses that a person could ultimately have when they encounter Jesus. Acceptance or rejection. No middle ground. So we're going to look at Zacchaeus' encounter with Jesus. He was a tax collector. Roman tax system was, it was privatized. It wasn't a government-run operation. The tax collectors were basically contractors. And the system was set up so that the tax collectors had to give Rome a certain amount of income per person. Uh, the rest, they could keep so if my tax to Rome was $1,000, the tax collector could charge me 1500 and I really couldn't do anything about it. And he got to pocket $500. Uh, and that's why, you know, tax collectors were considered among the lowest of the low, especially the Jewish tax collectors, because they basically 
you know, going to work for Rome, turning their back on their own people. Um, Philo. Philo was a Jewish philosopher, and he was a writer who lived in Alexandria during the time of Christ. And this is what he said about Roman tax collectors. They, Romans, deliberately choose as tax collectors men who are absolutely ruthless and savage and give them the means of satisfying their greed. These people who are mischief makers by nature gain added immunity because of their superior orders. Obsequious in everything where their masters are concerned. I learned that obsequious basically means sucking up. So they basically sucked up to the Romans every chance that they had. Uh, they leave undone no cruelty of any kind and recognize no equity or gentleness. As they collect the taxes, they spread confusion and chaos everywhere. They exact money not only from people's property, but also from their bodies by means of personal injuries, assault, and completely unheard of forms of torture. This is... Zacchaeus. Actually, it may not be Zacchaeus because Philo was talking about just tax collectors in general. Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. So imagine how bad he was. And he was short, so he probably had a Napoleon complex on top of everything else. So that's, you know, that's why people hated him. And I can assume, and I think we could safely assume, that everybody could not stand this guy. Um, so here's a hated tax collector, and he wants to see Jesus. He wants to get a glimpse of the man that everyone is talking about. I mean, no doubt he heard about crowds of people being fed, people being healed, you know, and he wanted to see the guy that was doing this stuff. He can't see through the crowd, and people probably wouldn't let him through anyway. I could just picture them, you know, just like getting shoulder to shoulder just to keep him out on purpose. Uh, so he climbs a tree. Was it an act of faith or an act of desperation? Only God and Zacchaeus knows that one. Whatever it was, it worked. Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name. Think about that. Think of how that must have made Zacchaeus feel. Jesus called him by name. Now, when Nathaniel uh, met Jesus in the beginning of the Gospel of John, um, he asked Jesus, how do you know me? I wonder if Zacchaeus asked Jesus the same thing. How the heck do you know who I am? It doesn't say. But it does show that Jesus knew Zacchaeus by name. That tells me, that I, at least I believe, that Jesus also knew everything else about him. Uh, and he knew all this before he called him. He knew exactly who Zacchaeus was. Turn with me to Isaiah 43. It's on the sheet, too, and I'm sure it'll be on the screen. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. The Lord called Zacchaeus by name and tells him, I want to come to your house. I believe 
God calls each one of us by name. He says it in his word in more than one spot. There were more verses than that. Um, and actually, if, you, if, if you're here today and you've not made a commitment to Jesus Christ, Jesus is inviting himself into your life. How are you going to respond? Will you make him a part of your daily life? This may be your encounter with Jesus, and you have to make a decision, acceptance or rejection. Zacchaeus responds immediately, climbs down from the tree, and brings Jesus home. It says the people were displeased. Jesus displeases a lot of people, then and now. You could talk, it's funny, you could talk about God. And people are kind of okay. Actually, we talked about this on Sunday a little bit. Um, you could say God and people won't get all bent out of shape. But if you say Jesus, that tends to bug people. Boom, that's life. <laughs> I'm going to keep saying it. Um, they couldn't understand why Jesus would go to the house of one of the worst sinners they knew. And once again, Jesus did the completely unexpected thing and people couldn't handle it. Where would Jesus go if he were here today? If he were traveling through, say, from Fort Lauderdale down to South Beach, he's doing a trip through Dade and Broward counties, you know, whose house would he pick to go to for dinner? You know, would he yell out to somebody down on, on the beach, and Joe, let's go have dinner at your bar tonight. You know, or maybe he would hit up one of the drug dealers on the corner and go home with him. Or what about the gay couple sitting on the beach? Maybe he'd go home with them. Or what about the guy who's a child molester wearing an, an ankle bracelet sitting on his front porch? You know, the person we consider the lowest of the low like Zacchaeus. How about the teen runaway or the ordinary everyday person who simply lives day to day without knowing why they even bother to do what they're doing? I guarantee you this, for every single one of us here, there's one person that if Jesus went home with him or her, it would startle us and it would bother us. I guarantee that. And before you get all righteous and object and say, no, I would never do that. Think about the last person the Holy Spirit prodded you to talk to and you didn't talk to them. Why? Thank God for his grace because when we do stupid things like that, we have grace that helps us in times of trouble and in times of our foolishness and he picks us right back up again. Jesus knew every single thing about Zacchaeus and called him anyway. He knows every single thing about each one of us and called us anyway. And again, if you're here and you've never met the real Jesus, this is him. He knows everything about you. Things that you haven't thought of in years. Things that you wish you could forget. Things that you hope nobody ever finds out. And he calls you anyway. Now, this is where it starts to get really good. Zacchaeus repents on the spot. Why? All Jesus said to him was, I want to come to your house. That's all he said. That's it exactly. That's all he had to say. Um, the verse 
at, and this is, it's going to get a little more interesting here. The verse that uh, I'm going to tell you now, I've used the last three or four times that I've preached. And don't ask me why, but as long as God keeps giving it to me, I'll keep using it. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Jesus didn't tell Zacchaeus everything he was doing wrong. Jesus didn't tell him he had to stop sinning. Jesus didn't accuse him of breaking God's commandments. Jesus showed him kindness. And through that kindness, Zacchaeus realized that Jesus had also forgiven him. So here's the picture. Up until now, we have Jesus walking through a crowd and picking out the person that may have been the worst one there. And we have a crowd of people complaining about Jesus' acceptance of a sinner. And that's when Zacchaeus does the unthinkable, especially for a tax collector. In verse, I think that says verse 8. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. The Greek word for repent is metanoia. I love that word. Um, It's not like when you see the guys standing up on their little box in the town square screaming repent. You know, the end is near. And they, like, basically try to scare the hell out of you. Literally and figuratively. Um, No, it simply means... A reversal or to change your mind. Zacchaeus repented on the spot. He changed his mind about everything he had ever done. He changed his mind about how he conducted business. He changed his mind about how he'd been treating people. He stood up before the Lord and before the whole crowd that would probably be around his house and said, I accept your forgiveness and I repent. That's pretty intense. As a matter of fact, it's a great example of how sanctification works. How the Lord cleans us up. How how the Holy Spirit guides us in our day-to-day lives. Nobody had to tell Zacchaeus what he was doing wrong. Nobody in there. No, just not one verse. Other than the fact that he was a tax collector and everybody hated him. No one had to tell Zacchaeus he was ripping people off. Nobody had to tell him he was a liar and a cheat. All it took was the presence of Jesus. The presence of the Holy Spirit and Zacchaeus knew and he responded. When we spend time with Jesus, whether it's in his word or in prayer or just talking to him throughout the day. When we allow him in our daily lives, when we look to him and only him, he leads and guides us into all the truth about ourselves. And he irons out the wrinkles in us. He shows us when and how to repent. But we have to listen and respond. That forgiveness is immediate. When we as Christians continually point out to people what they're doing wrong, or what they're doing that's not Christ-like, or what they need to be doing to become more like Christ, we may do more harm than good. Uh, yeah, every now and then God will use us to point something out in someone, you know, uh, or to be Christ-like to them, and it helps God do his thing. 
But it's not my job to convict anybody of sin. It's the Holy Spirit's job. Uh, There's another verse I used, again, the past few times I've preached. Uh, John 16, verses 5 to 15. But now I'm going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't go, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Jesus' mere presence and the presence of the Holy Spirit and his acceptance of Zacchaeus is what led to his repentance. The presence of the Holy Spirit in Christ is what gave Zacchaeus the power to repent. I mean, repentance isn't easy. Um, Which is probably why Jesus told us, he said, no man can come to the Father unless the Father draws him. We can't even repent on our own. I mean, we need the Holy Spirit to help us do that. So Zacchaeus repents, promises to give away half his money and pay back everybody he's ripped off. And when Jesus responds, just picture this. I can picture Jesus with a big smile on his face, maybe even laughing when he talks because he's so happy with Zacchaeus and how he's responded. He says, salvation has come to this house today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Jesus came to his house and brought salvation with him. Jesus came to my house and brought salvation with him. And he comes to your house and brings salvation with him. All we have to do is accept it. So it's a true son of Abraham. He called Zacchaeus a true son of Abraham. And again, it's funny, I'm using more verses than I've been using. Um, As a matter of fact, it, it showed me that God's word is for every single situation in our life, regardless of what it is. It doesn't change and it doesn't return void. Zacchaeus acted in faith from the moment he climbed the tree, right up until the moment of repentance. It was all faith in action. Like Abraham, he didn't have a clue as to what was going to happen. You know, Jesus may have told him, get out of here. Well, we know that he wouldn't have, but, you know, Zacchaeus didn't know that. Reminds me of um, The Price is Right. Remember that show? I think it's still on. Zacchaeus, come on down. (laughs) And the price is right. Free gift of God. Salvation. Turn with me to Romans. Uh, Chapter 4. Clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. 
For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. We are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken even though at about 100 years of age he figured his body was as good as dead and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. It's forgiven by faith. That's it. That's all it takes. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit, too. Assuring us that God will also count as righteous, us as righteous, if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. Every encounter with Jesus has the potential to make that person right with God. Every encounter with Jesus is an opportunity for that person to be freed and forgiven. Every encounter with Jesus is a chance for that person to experience the goodness of God. And what have I been saying over and over and over again? We are the church. We can and we will show others the goodness of God. For every person you encounter, like Kristen talked about the woman that came up to her in, in Starbucks, for every person that you encounter, it's an opportunity for them to encounter Jesus. I mean, we're Christ's body on earth. He lives in us. We have the mind of Christ. And there's a dozen other verses I could rattle off that puts that responsibility on you. It's our job to be compassionate to the people that no one wants to show compassion to. It's our job to forgive the people that no one wants to forgive. It's our job to accept the people that no one wants to accept. It's our job to show Jesus to the people we meet every single day. We don't always accomplish it, but by God's grace we'll continue to move forward as he leads us. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you that you're willing to have an encounter with each and every one of us. We thank you, God, that an encounter with your son is what opens up the doors to heaven and gives us access to you, direct access to you.
Father, I pray for every person in the room, Lord. For sins that be that need to be forgiven, Father, forgive us. Forgive everyone here, Lord. Make us more like you. I don't ask often, but if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their own Lord and Savior, we actually want to pray for you. Because we don't want to see you leave this room without having that encounter with Jesus. Father, you know where we're, we're, we're all at with you. Give us the strength day by day to run the race that you've put before us. Give us the faith to believe we are forgiven. Give us the grace to get up every time we fall down. Thank you for everyone here, Lord. 